breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode of Reform This at Blaze.com Podcasts. It is always an honor to be with you. Thank you for taking the time to listen. And uh, we have a lot to talk about, Um, some stuff to follow up on. But the main thing, you know, if you're looking for patriotic Muslim, if you're looking for somebody who breaches the divide between political Islam, the East, the theocrats, and the West, and tries to hold Muslims accountable with tough love, hold our feet to the fire so that we can look at all the issues that radicalize, all the issues that prevent counter-radicalization and prevent theocracy from continuing to grow. Because right now, I have to tell you, we're losing the war against radical Islam. Why? Because countries like Iran, Saudi Arabia, and others that push out these ideas continue to do so. Yeah, the Muslim Brotherhood might be on the defense, but jihad, global jihad, is growing. And in this program, you and I together try to stop that, try to look at where we can learn to improve and change our strategies. Today I want to talk to you about two things. One is the scandal coming out of Al Jazeera. That network out of Qatar, state-sponsored media, Qatar, that is predominantly Muslim Brotherhood producers and spokespeople, they stepped in it on right last weekend. They stepped in it and then deleted the video. We're going to talk about that. And then we're going to talk about strategy. A lot of folks, as they start to wring their hands, are critical of President Trump's strategy in Iran. I I think it's been extremely successful, a maximum pressure strategy. But even bigger than Iran is, what are we doing in the Game of Thrones in the Middle East? What are we doing in helping the good guys? Who are the good guys? We'll talk about that briefly. First, what happened? What happened over at Al Jazeera? You know, the controversial video, and I'm surprised this wasn't more of a story here in America. We saw it covered online, and a lot of the social media were were quite active on it on Saturday and Sunday. And I actually, at our American Islamic Forum for Democracy, we were on top of this story. I happened to see the video by Munahawa, a AJ Plus, Al Jazeera Plus, which is a brand name of a slick video operation. They put out videos uh, to millennials, and uh, it's a spinoff of Al Jazeera. Now, I had hoped it would be a spinoff like Al Jazeera America that died three or four years after they spent half a billion dollars getting it from Al Gore. But the Al Jazeera Arabic brand has few to none competition, and AJ Plus is part of its Arabic branding. So Munahawa, who, as we look deeper into her history, has been a rabid anti-Semite, radical Palestinian, radical Islamist, who has been pushing ideas of extermination of the state of Israel, endorsement of BDS, Radical idea after radical idea, and she puts out this video, 
And it was about the Holocaust. I saw something about the Holocaust. I pulled up the video and was mortified. Mortified over what I saw. And I saved it. I recorded it on my iPhone because I knew that this was possibly going to be deleted. I didn't realize that actually they would. Al Jazeera is such a radical network. They usually keep stuff like that up. Memory all the time. You know, memory is the Middle East sort of documenting nonprofit that translates and lets us know all about the radical ideas being pushed through the Middle East and in many languages. They do God's work. And so this video comes up and it asserts a number of just unbelievably horrific ideas. It 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 talks about the history of the Holocaust in Arabic. Now we translated this in Arabic, and as did Memory translate some of it. We actually posted the full video on Twitter, Facebook, provided it to folks uh, through Dropbox. Because and the reason I was doing this is you would not believe the locus of lawyers that Al Jazeera once put it out. The next day they. Within hours, I think, they asked for it to be removed and claimed that it did not meet the editorial standards of their propaganda arm. So they basically were invoking a suppression of free speech under the guise of ownership. Now, yeah, that was their video, but imagine this is not about making money off of it, which is what a copyright's about. This is about distributing it for educational fair use consumption. And the fair use copyright exclusion, which we posted at the beginning and the end and throughout the video, didn't seem to matter to folks, companies in Silicon Valley like Twitter, YouTube, that demanded that it be removed immediately. And they said if we were to question it, that could invoke sort of a legal process. Do I want to walk up against the attorneys of Qatar? No, I don't. Facebook, to their credit, has left our video on there. They claimed that uh, Al Jazeera actually notified us that they had a claim on the video, and then 12 hours later it was released. They released the claim, so therefore there must be an internal mechanism at Facebook that prevented them from having it removed. So the title of this video was Let's Talk About the Holocaust. It promoted in the tweet that she tweeted it out. It said, gas ovens killed millions of Jews. That's what the story says. What is the truth of the Holocaust and how did the Zionist movement benefit from it? She asked the question, did Hitler kill 6 million Jews? And how did the Israeli occupation benefit from the extermination? And she also asked and posited that Hitler had cooperated with Zionism and helped fund and fuel its armamentation. And they talk about the millions that were spent, billions spent in reparations for the Holocaust that actually went, according to this video, by the radical Munahawa and her colleagues that went to then arm Israel in order to kill Palestinians. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it went on. It went on. Now, the video didn't happen to be by coincidence put out. It it must be related to the timing of Rashida Tlaib's uh, 
offensive comments regarding the Holocaust and how in her Yahoo podcast we talked about last week, she had basically said that they created a safe haven for Jews, which completely contradicts the truth, which was they declared war on the state of Israel once it was formed. Well, Munahawa and her Holocaust denial, basically, now she claimed it's not denial. I'm going to read you at the end what her statement was. You, you aren't going to believe, even though she's suspended and other colleague, another colleague was suspended. Not fired. She's still on her Twitter handle and elsewhere says she works for AJ+. They're just telling her to cool her heels. Now, this isn't radical enough to get fired. No, no. She said, come with us to discuss the story of the Holocaust. Not the reality, the, the story. She talks about what it means and how it affected the Jewish people. And the Zionist movement claims that two of three Jews were killed in Europe. And she walked people back through the history. Talked about Aryan, Aryanism, the goals of the Nazis. But she also then minimized by saying that there were gypsies and Christians and Arabs killed, gays and mentally ill. And then she talked about the fact that these groups were treated, mistreated before the Holocaust when they were part of the final solution and they burned their books, etc. So you see here, Holocaust denial is not just a binary thing. For militant Islamists on Al Jazeera, Holocaust denial is about minimization, watering it down, claiming that the Jews are not the only victims, talking conspiracy theories and exaggerating it. So she asks, why are we focused on making this a Jewish issue only? The reason is Jews had a lot of wealth, access to media, academia. So therefore you see the Al Jazeera video fed right into conspiracy theories of media, academia, and finance business that made intentionally the Holocaust appear to be worse than it was. Yes, folks, this is what was released by Al Jazeera. Then it was removed without any discussion, just an apology, not even an apology, just said it didn't meet the editorial standards. And I'll read you what the radical Islamist Munahawa said at the end. She said, therefore, and, and I'll read her letter at the end. She continued in the documentary, therefore they were able to portray themselves as the main victims of the Nazis, even though there were many others. There are various perceptions of the Holocaust that have developed throughout history. Some deny it, some exaggerate it. And then she asks, how did Israel benefit? The mayor of London publicly declared, she said in 2016, that Hitler was behind the Zionist movement, which led to his resignation. I don't even know if that... That crap is true. If he actually said that, the narrative of the Holocaust, she said, made it easier to open the path for them to immigrate to Palestine. Can you imagine this heinous barbarism of this woman and of the, of the Islamists that believe that somehow 
the Holocaust happened in order to take Israel from them? What what superiority, what narcissism is involved in a supremacist Palestinian Islamist ideology that that teaches their kids that that the worst crime against humanity that was committed in which a third of the world uh, almost half of the world's Jewish population was slaughtered and gassed and tortured that that somehow was done in order to get Israel in order to create the state of Israel this is the pathology ladies and gentlemen of jihadists of radical Islamists she then goes in the documentary to talk about reparations, talk about $89 billion paid up until 2012. And that somehow that was far too much to be paid and demonstrated the exaggeration of the victimization. And she said, listen, up until today, Germany has been paying very large amounts of compensation for World War II victims to a country that was not even present at the time. <laughs> Offensive, yes. Anti-Semitic, absolutely gross. She talked about other countries not compensated, just Israel was. There was no comparison to what Israel received and what other European countries received. The Holocaust was not just any catastrophe. Some considered a crime to deny the Holocaust. She talked about all the orgs and conspiracies of museums and others that have continued to push the story of the Holocaust. And then she ends, she says, rejecting the Holocaust is a, not rejecting the Holocaust is a moral obligation, but Israel is the largest winner. Yes, this is what this horrific anti-Semite said. Israel is the largest winner of the Holocaust because they justify the ethnic cleansing of the Palestinians with the same justification that Nazis used to kill the Jews. So this AJ Plus correspondent said Israel was the winner because of the Holocaust. And then she said she ended the ideology upon which the state of Israel was established is on religious national premises stemming from the Nazi belief and foundations. Credit for that nonsense I just read to you. To Munahawa, Hadi Zenji, Julie Al-Hajj, Amir Al-Sayyid, so, ladies and gentlemen, this is the face of anti-Semitism across the Middle East. They removed this because of how obviously offensive it was. But three days later now, Imam Yusuf al-Qaradawi at a Ramadan dinner as the guest of honor for the Emir of Qatar talked about celebrating Ramadan, spiritually praying and hoping Muslims take the right path. Muslims take the right path not the path of the Jews that are like apes and monkeys. Yes, that's what he said this week. How can we Muslims, how come we're not hearing Muslims just reject this? The Islamists of care, Islamic Center North America and others have stayed silent. They have stayed silent with no comment. And then when we did comment 
they cite Al Jazeera's removal of it as demonstration of how moderate they are. They owned up and apologized, and it's the Islamophobes. Imran Siddiqui here of Care, Arizona, said, I exemplified the Islamophobes who are jumping on Al Jazeera for having a mistaken video. Oh, just like the Philadelphia school, that their kids, that video was just sort of a mistake. They weren't even supposed to be at that school. Or the kids didn't know what they were saying. We're not that stupid. Brothers, we're not that stupid. We have a lot of work for reform in the Muslim community. Even when they're caught with their pants down. When a Hawa starts tweeting about Pain is the essence of man's essence. Depth, definition of being humiliated, humiliation, she writes in Arabic poetry. We must suffer for our happiness and the next. What the hell is she talking about? Well, you look at her timeline and you see at the top a letter. She says, the following is a clarification regarding the debate about my Holocaust or debate. There's a debate, really? I find myself compelled to clarify the following points. I won't comment any further discussions after this clarification. She said, my story didn't deny the Holocaust. No, it just argued whether it is a crime against humanity that deserves all condemnation. It is undoubtedly one of the most horrible crimes in history. She goes on to say that she didn't deny it. She said it's a catastrophe that all humankind should denounce, but most importantly, learn from the anger of national superiority, the sanctity of human rights, and the individual moral duty to submit to authority against one's own conscience. Israel is a state established on national superiority. And she goes on again to compare Israel to the Nazis. She said, I chose writing over silence now because I was ready to maintain only if it was merely a personal matter, but this is no longer restricted to a job suspension. It targets media's function and threatens its freedom and commitment to its value. So this woman now is claiming that the criticism of her ideas prevents her free speech. When they are notorious for preventing criticism of Islam, when not only that, her video was removed in order to prevent a discussion about it. So now she posts a statement that's going viral defending herself as a martyr. And this is, I think, my my message to you in this sordid tale that more should have covered about the radicalism of Al Jazeera is that she's an Islamist radical. She takes on martyrdom. She talks about pain. She's an anti-Semite. She is the step right before those who put on a suicide vest. And she's working for Al Jazeera. She said silence. This is in her so-called apology letter. Silence today would establish Zionist dominance and make every journalist fear for their future career if they criticized it. Anti-Semitism has become a loose accusation that can be used against whoever dares to criticize. And the condemnation of the German parliament because of boycott, divestment, and sanction movement won't be the last. So, ladies and gentlemen, look no more 
radical groups like ISIS, Al-Qaeda, are natural, natural downstream, if not midstream, with the Muslim Brotherhood ideologues. 90% of Al Jazeera reporters are Muslim Brotherhood Ikhwanis. Do we have any doubt that the Muslim Brotherhood should be labeled, a for, should be identified as a foreign terrorist organization and receive all the sanction associated limitations that an FTO, foreign terrorist organization, would have? They're a terrorist organization. They're anti-Semites. They're bigots. They are anti-Western. They are the enemies of freedom, the enemies of mankind, and the enemies of humanity. And any Muslim who loves our faith, who loves America, loves freedom, believes in the equality of all faiths, Christian, Jewish, Muslim, Baha'i, Hindu, Buddhist, if you believe in the equality of all faiths before God, all individuals, then you should work tirelessly to expose this radicalism. And we did. I, we translated her video, we posted it, reposted it, reposted it as it kept being taken down by the powers that be and their attorneys from Al Jazeera. And you can still find our video on my Facebook page at MZ Jasser. Facebook page at MZ Jasser. You'll see the video that's still posted. was taken down off Twitter, taken down off YouTube because of their thugs that said whatever they need to in order to get it taken down. And it shows you that they're all about suppressing free speech and information. And their propagandistic reporters then claim the mantle of free speech when they're criticized. That their radicalism is about free speech. Sure, let us distribute and educate it. We're not trying to take away your free speech. Actually, you're trying to, your, your bosses are trying to prevent us from exposing what you actually said. Follow the story, folks. I was, I was very disappointed American media didn't cover it, really. We didn't see it on CNN, on Fox, on MSNBC. Maybe Fox had a small story about it, but uh, did not cover it, I think, the way it should. Because this is the front lines, as we talk about on this podcast. These are the front lines of radical Islamism. Understanding the mechanism which hating the other, hating the Jewish faith, hating Israel empowered the collectivization of Islamists to radicalize their folks and how her martyrdom and her language of martyrdom is actually what's radicalizing scores of millennials that are listening and watching and reading AJ+. AJ+, the anti-Jewish AJ, anti-Jewish Al Jazeera. How horrific. We need to have an alternative, folks, to that. We need to have a pro-American, pro-Western, pro-liberty station that puts the Munahawas in their place and begins to expose them. The next thing I want to talk about is there's a debate happening that was happening in the campaign, but we hear folks discussing that Governments that have come to work with the Trump administration, with America again, as we rekindled the alliances that existed in the Middle East across the 20th century. And remember, the 20th century era of stability in the Middle East, if you can call it that, there were obviously a number of wars with Israel, between Egypt and Israel, Syria, Palestinians, 
56, 67, 73. But bottom line is, is most of these countries internally were pretty stable. Stable tyrants, stable dictatorships of Saudi Arabia, Iran, Syria, Libya. And then the Arab Awakening changed a lot of that. The Arab Awakening was a major opportunity. And that opportunity left a vacuum in which the secular democratic liberals had an opportunity and they were just so decimated over generations of horrific dictatorship that they had no mechanism in which to meet and gather and organize. The Islamists had the mosques to meet and gather and organize. So they had a leg up, they had a head start on organization and sure enough, in Egypt, in Tunisia, Libya, they quickly came into office and came into control. Now in Egypt, and, and especially in Tunisia, they, they lost the second time around because the secularists figured out that they need to defeat him. But this discussion I want to have with you today is not about sort of the dynamics internally. It's about when we had the Obama administration, the Obama administration was so Khomeinophilic, Iranophilic, that it abandoned the old strategy, which was America was allied with Egypt, Saudi Arabia, the Sunni axis in the Middle East, and the GCC, the Gulf Cooperation Council, and the Russians, Soviets of the 20th century, were allied with Iran, Syria, the Shia crescent, if you will. Iraq was not with the West, and even though it was Sunni, the Shia population there also pushed them a little more towards the Soviets and Russia. So, and yet, however, we obviously helped arm Iraq against Iran and a bizarre chapter in our history in which both sides of that war were our enemy, and yet we ended up helping Iraq and Saddam. And I think that sort of speaks to the dysfunction of American policy over time, which is getting in bed with a dictator, with a tyrant who has none of our values, because we have a common enemy, is not American. It may be Realpolitik, as the State Department talks about, and I get it. There has to be some pragmatic approach to Middle Eastern policy. Without pragmatism, we were left with the chaos that President Obama left us with, in which the Sunni governments of Saudi and Egypt and others were sort of left blowing in the wind, beginning to talk to Russia, beginning to talk to Israel, which is fine. Israel, at least, not Russia. But he became, the Obama administration brought us so much closer, to, brought, to, I'm sorry, the United States so much closer to Iran, it became beyond pathological. Not only about the nuclear deal, but we were handing them $150 billion. We were turning a blind eye to what they were doing in Yemen with the Houthis and the war crimes happening there and the relationship with Qatar and basically facilitating Khomeinism and the Muslim Brotherhood movement globally through Qatar and Iran. And meanwhile, our allies started to dig their heels in and 
not know what to do. Then come the Trump administration. And as, our, and as Republicans are wont to do in the 20th century, at least we reset that and we re-met right away initially with the Saudis. President Trump opened a counter-terrorist center in, in, in Riyadh. Now, again, I didn't support that. I think it's bizarre that any effective counter-terrorist center be in Saudi Arabia. It's, as I said, it's like having a counter-cocaine center in Colombia. But, okay, fine. The, the message I'm trying to tell you is that there is a geopolitical stability to America bolstering and standing with Saudis, standing with the Egyptians. Not that we endorse their human rights abuses on their own people, but recently they have done a 180 and begun to reject the Muslim Brotherhood, and that is the common enemy that we have with them. And they're now, the Saudis are talking about reform. Now, MBS's reforms, I think, are all camouflage and smoke and mirrors. But the reform about defeating the Brotherhood is not. It's not. You know, the, the, the threats... The methods in which, you know, this week we saw assassinations that were being done, executions done against some that are being described as moderate clerics. Now, I'm not the one, you know, listen, the description of a cleric as moderate, you look back and some of these guys, I'm sure, are deeply anti-Semitic in their ideas, are probably pro-Islamists. But listen, you can hold these two ideas at the same time. Reject the ideas of the people that the Saudi government decided to execute. Reject their Islamism, reject their anti-Semitism, but also disagree with the Saudi government deciding to execute them and take away their freedom of speech. Because tyrannies will not defeat Islamism. Tyrannies fuel Islamism. Islamism will be defeated by the advancement of liberty to take up and replace the ideas of political Islam. Yes, political Islam has to be defeated, but it will not be simply defeated by sake of defeat. There has to be another idea to encompass their three eyes, right? I talked about identity, ishtihad, and inspiration. If we don't provide them an identity to identify with their state instead of Islamism, we will lose. If we don't provide ishtihad reform against Islamism, we will lose. If we don't provide allies that will inspire them to want to create a free and liberal state, we will lose to the inspiration of jihad. So this is the strategic thing that I disagree with. We might in the short term find common cause with the Saudis against the Brotherhood now, with the Emiratis, with the Egyptians. But, you know, I'm not going to walk arm in arm with the Saudis against the Brotherhood. They don't share any of our values. Yeah, I mean, we may, you know, uh, we may want to work with them in a geopolitical sense, share military operations and and uh we've got bases uh, with them obviously 
We have base with Qatar. They're not an ally. We, yeah, Turkey's a part of NATO. They're not an ally. Ideologically, they still might be geopolitically and by NATO, but for crying out loud, Erdogan is not an ally of the United States. I don't care what which speech you've been listening to. There are no speeches in which he speaks like an ally. Qatar's nonsense, as we talked about last segment, Qatar's nonsense with their sheikh calling Jews the sons of apes and pigs and other kind of nonsense, that's not the speech of an ally. And he was the honored guest of the Emir of Qatar on his show, also that runs on Al Jazeera, Sharia and Life. So, you know, the navigation of the strategic approach to Middle Eastern geopolitics, I would summarize in this way. Yes, geopolitically, we join these countries strategically against ISIS, strategically against Al-Qaeda, Jabhat al-Nusra, Jamaat Islamiyya, Islamic Jihad, and the mothership of the Muslim Brotherhood. But we do not call them moderate Muslims. El-Sisi, ladies and gentlemen, is a dictator that we work with geopolitically that might have said a few good things against Al-Azhar, the school that is in his country that is basically the Vatican of Sunni Islam that needs a lot of work and reform, and he called them out on it. But he didn't call them out for freedom and democracy. He called them against jihadism, militant jihadism. And then he passed an edict that the only folks that can declare jihad is the government of Egypt, the state. So that basically says that the state military in Egypt is an Islamist military, but it's a corporate Islamist one, not a viral one like Al-Azhar teaches or the Brotherhood teaches. So the strategy for the United States, geopolitically they may be our allies, but Please stop calling El-Sisi, stop calling MBS moderate Muslims about reform. They aren't reforming my, you know what. They're simply providing smoke and mirrors. They're simply now find themselves with a common enemy that we have no longer did the strategy of helping global Islamism help. Though you could also argue that they've done their job. They've planted the seeds across the world of the Brotherhood into Europe, Germany, France, Finland, Sweden, United States, Canada, and now they say, you know what, we're going to stop funding them and let them grow on their own and pretend that they're our enemy when in fact Salafi jihadism has a lot in common with Wahhabism and the Saudis. But, you know, I'd ask my conservative colleagues, watch yourself before, check yourself, I mean, before you start talking about the king, the crown prince of Saudi or the king... of another Gulf state or the president of Egypt as being a moderate Muslim. These are not moderates. I don't even use that term. What is, what is a moderate Muslim? We should use terms like modern Muslim, liberal, liberty-based Muslim, free-thinking Muslim that rejects Islamism. Those are the Muslims that we should be working with. Reformist Muslims that believe in democracy, that believe in a republic, that believe in reason.
think it's empty for conservatives to articulate that, well, we have common enemies, so these are our allies, and to lift up the Jordanian king because he wanted to put on a jumpsuit and go get ISIS because they burned a pilot. Yeah, that's a heinous crime. Many of us have lost family in the war that ISIS did in Syria. I get it. And we might have an alliance in fighting a war against ISIS, but when you start talking about Muslims in general, these autocratic, so-called benevolent and not-so-benevolent monarchies are not moderate. They torture journalists. They kill their enemies under the name of not criticizing Islam. They do not teach their citizens to be critical thinkers, to be free thinkers, to to have freedom, but they continue to collectivize them into a mass of uneducated mess, which is why there are no products, no free-thinking products that come out of any of these countries, be it Jordan, Egypt, or Saudi Arabia. They're all still underdeveloped, despite all the trillions of gas and fuel money. And we saw what's happening in Venezuela. I have to say, as much as it would be destabilizing, I hope many of the Middle Eastern countries are headed in the same way because socialism kills. Because tyranny kills. And until the monsters in the Middle East, no matter if they're smaller or bigger monsters, yes, the bigger ones are dying, but even the smaller ones of these dictators, until you have a nascent movement of reform, democracy, revolution... Yes, and we also should make sure that it's not replaced by Islamists. If it is, we contain them, and we continue the containment like we had in the last 40 years in Iran. And slowly, Iran will also evolve away from Khomeinism. And we've been waiting 40 years. So that should be the strategy, I think. A long-term strategy to work towards liberalization and openly saying that our grade A allies are liberal Muslims on the ground, the secular democratic activists, and our D-minus allies are the ones that are against ISIS and Ikhwan and the Brotherhood and Islamists, etc. But we also criticize them openly about their human rights records and we withhold and often sanction them if necessary. So ultimately, moderate Islam, whatever that is, the last part of my strategic discussion with you today, that moderate Islam will not come. I don't think it's going to sprout initially from the Middle East. Yes, it's beginning to start to get the fertile soil, be it in the Emirates, be it in Tunisia, and even in the dust and smoke that is Syria, I think it's still going to come as that revolution is not over. But will there be a people left? We'll see. But I will tell you that I think that the resources, the laboratory, the technology that we have here, just like the world adopted WhatsApp and Twitter and social media, I think and I believe the Muslim world will also adopt a reform modern Islam if we can figure out how to get the campaign movement to engage and fuel this type of social change. This is Zudi Jasser. Always a pleasure to be with you guys. Find us on Twitter at Reform This Radio. 
My personal Twitter handle, handle is Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I Jasser. Subscribe and share this podcast at SoundCloud and at iTunes and at blaze theblaze.com backslash podcasts. It's always a pleasure to be with you. We'll see you and talk to you next week. God bless. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.